6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. At any rate, he already knew and believed the Old Testament scriptures thanks to his mother and grandmother. And so that's why Paul could pick him up as a promising protege. And his promise for the ministry was recognized early, as we'll see reconfirmed several times in these letters. And apparently, there's also the hint that there were certain prophetic utterances confirmed that confirmed his appointment. And uh, we should recognize that happens today. That happens today. There are some groups that overemphasize some of these gifts. There's other groups that deny these gifts. But these gifts are around. And some of them are indeed legitimate. Paul became like a spiritual father to a young man, and he refers to him as my true son in the faith, my dear son. That's a repeated phrase by Paul to, to express the endearment and the role that Timothy, this young Timothy had. And so he became a companion, one of his most trusted uh, fellow laborers. All through his epistles, you'll find him referred to. And he became his representative and messenger on several occasions. Again, all through his letters. And uh, six of Paul's epistles include Timothy in the salutations. He not only did write a letter to someone, he included Timothy as, a, uh, uh, as his companion. And uh, now, because of his mixed parentage, he has him circumcised. And many people are upset by that. Why? What is this? I thought, I thought that didn't matter. It did in terms of his ministry. This seems, see, this seems contrary to the decision at the Jerusalem Council that occurred just before the Second Missionary Journal. But it... Titus, in contrast, was not compelled to be circumcised because he was fully Gentile. He was not Jewish. Timothy was half and half, so to speak. So Paul doesn't want his ministry clouded or curtailed by him being uncircumcised. He wanted to maximize the effectiveness of his ministry. We need to remember that. There's things you don't have to do, but you might do just to maximize your acceptability to certain groups. And so this could have been an occasion for serious offense in some Jewish circles if he had remained uncircumcised. But Paul relieves that problem. It's interesting, many people don't realize when Paul is at on Mars Hill in Athens, his quotes are not from the Bible. They're from three Greek poets of the past. Why? Because that was the, something they would understand. You follow me? And uh, anyway... So Timothy becomes so dear to Paul that in his last message, he makes a uh, touching appeal for Timothy to come join him in his final days in prison. His second letter, we're reading his first letter, but his second letter, it's probably the last thing he wrote before he died. And he, 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 he knew it was a final situation, and so he uh, pleaded for Timothy to come and bring his notebooks that he had and so forth. After being released from his first Roman prison, Paul and Timothy by side evidently visited some of the churches in Asia, including Ephesus. And uh, after a second, uh, 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 after that also, he apparently may have also gone to Spain. That's the, the big debate about that. On this departure from Ephesus, Paul left Timothy behind. 
to provide leadership to the congregation. So he's really matured by then because he's leaving Timothy to minister at one of the most challenging places to minister, as we'll touch on here in a minute. And uh, then he wrote to Timothy a letter, 1 Timothy, urging him on in his ministry at Ephesus. Are we together? Okay. We gather Timothy was probably somewhat passive, timid, retiring, easily intimidated. He was very young, and he might have been very light, frail. He wasn't a strong, dominant kind of character. Paul is repeatedly spurring him on to action all through his letters. And uh, he's rather young. <laughs> Paul exhorts him, let no one despise your youth. He said that to him 15 years later. <laughs> so he must have been really young when he started. We don't know how old he was. But when he says, let no one despise your youth, we may miss the point that that was 15 years after he got started here. Right? And uh, he's let nothing including his youth, stand in the way of his performance of his duty. You see, Paul really is a military commander. He uses military terms, as we'll see here shortly. He's like a good soldier supposed to fight the good fight, we find in 1 Timothy 1. And aggressively, aggressively protecting and propagating the gospel, using the full range of all his gifts. And yet we'll find that Timothy still is easily discouraged because Paul is having to re-emphasize re that again and again. And so uh, Paul even had to tell him to hang in there, finish his work there at Ephesus. He may have had physical problems, um, and he obviously had physical uh, periods of discouragement. And so uh, there, it appears that some of the church members were not giving proper respect to him as God's servant. So Now the organization is pretty straightforward. In 1 Timothy, the first, ch first uh, chapter is going to be about faith in the church, and it's going to be doctrinal. Second uh, chapter will be having to do with order in the church. How do you organize? How do you do those things? We'll talk about officers of the church, deacons and elders and so forth. And also, interestingly enough, in the fourth chapter, that apostasy was on its way. And 1 Timothy 4 is an important chapter for us to understand in our day-to-day -day especially. And then we have the duties detailed in uh, chapters 5 and 6. In the second and final letter of Paul's, he talks about the afflictions, and the activities of the church. Afflictions, activity, and allegiance. I lifted this from one of the commentaries. And if you've been to seminary, you always have to start with the same letter. That somehow proves things are true. You always start with P or A or whatever. So, so we have the afflictions, the activity, and the allegiance. Anyway, we sometimes get a little facetious or cynical about alliteration, which seems to be a, a, a seminary stamp of approval somehow. Faith of the church. There are three basic forms of church government. One's called the Episcopal form. That's where one or several at the top are in charge, and they're typically outside the local church. That's typically called the Episcopal form. The Presbyterian form is those that have representatives elected from the membership that run the church. So it's locally controlled. Congregational is the people themselves make the decisions. So there's various forms of church governments, but they, they more or less take one of those forms. They all can work well, but none of them are any better than the, the leadership, the integrity of the leadership, spiritual condition of the leadership. And so they all can be characterized by strifes and divisions if not handled um, with spiritual maturity. So Paul's going to emphasize that there are two aspects of a spiritual officer. He must be a man of faith, obviously. It's shocking to realize how many people aren't. 
You must be motivated by love. Pretty basic stuff. And it's disturbing how often those one or both are absent if you get into these counseling sessions with the leadership. And um, Paul explained there were three responsibilities in the local church. To teach sound doctrine. The first 11 verses of this, book are, of this chapter are going to be about that. To proclaim the gospel. It's amazing. The whole emergent church avoids doctrine in the first place. Gee, that's not very popular. What about proclaiming the gospel? What is the gospel? Most, many pastors can't answer that question. Paul defines it in the first uh, four chapters of 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about Christ. It's all about what he completed. And then to defend the faith. And every one of us in the room is going to have an opportunity in our lifetimes to show our true colors in that regard. In fact, all three. Okay, we're down to the third verse. We're making progress here. As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus, when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So he's instructing Timothy. The word charge there is a Greek term, which is the term that's used when you give strict orders from a superior officer. It's a military term he's using here. And he uses that eight times in his two letters to Timothy. So it's clear that he's laying it out for the kid. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is faith. So do. See, understand where Timothy was. He was in Ephesus. That was the heartland of the mystery religions. The temple of Hadrian, the temple to Trajan, and the great temple of Diana, which of course gets very prominent uh, positioning in the book of Acts. These were all centered in Ephesus, and they're all based on Greek mythology. And it's easy for us to look back and dismiss that as mythology, but we've failed to realize that culture was committed to that mythology. And uh, well, we could talk more about the mythology our culture is committed to. It's even sillier than theirs, but let's move on. Ephesus was not the easiest place to minister, to which I have a question. Is any place easy? Of course not. But this, this one had its difficulties. Known throughout the world for lascivious worship, Diana. Yet he done there that uh, Paul was there three years. All they that dwelt in the province, and when it says Asia, it doesn't mean Asia as we think of it. It's the province of Asia, which today is roughly equivalent to Turkey. So all they that dwelt in the province of Asia heard the words of Jesus. That was Paul's accomplishment. He did that without electronics, without publishing, without printing presses. But he made an impact. Praise God. Now, he wrote this letter from Macedonia while Timothy was in Ephesus in order to encourage him and give him some management advice. Now, heterodoxy has infested the church. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like today where you've got uh, Bible churches lighting incense candles and using icons and what have you? Legalism and speculative theology based on myths and genealogies. That's today. And there's two basic issues facing every believer. One is interior, the creed. What do they really believe? The other is exterior, their conduct. Creed and conduct are the interior, exterior aspects for every believer. Every believer. And they will reflect the effectiveness of the pastor in charge. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. A pure heart, that's in contrast to our old nature. 
What's our heart like? Desperate, incurably wicked, right? Jeremiah 79. And of good conscience. Conscience that, that to know with is what it really says in the Greek. 21 times in his letters, six times just in these epistles. It is possible to sin against your conscience. Did you know that? So it becomes defiled. That's in Titus. We'll deal with that. And uh, even seared like scar tissue. You can sear your conscience just like you can have some scar tissue that makes you insensitive in certain areas. Same thing. Same kind of thing. Love here is, a, 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 is an act of concern for others, which means you don't gossip about them or in any way bring harm to them. We won't get into a whole deviation here on the most painful sin. You've heard me on that before. Let's move on to verse 6. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Vain jangling. What do I mean by vain jangling? Some people talk about 7-Eleven music. Seven words repeated 11 times. And totally devoid of any theology. It's interesting to contrast some of the devotional songs we sing today with the incredible richness of some of the old hymns. Some of those old hymns are lessons in theology, where today it's 7-Eleven music. Or worse. You know, a singer has no more right to sing a lie than a teacher has to teach a lie. And some of the songs you sing are... Paul continues, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say or whereof they affirm. Wow. Paul's taken after these people. Vain jangling, meaningless talk, empty chatter, beautiful words, vapid content. Some even are songs which teach little or no doctrine. It's interesting, those who teach error always do it with assurance. I think that's interesting. I came across that. I thought, that's an interesting comment. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Romans 7. We just got through that in our study of Romans, right? We need to see that the law is good. We need also to recognize our inability to keep the law. The law is good. We're not. That's basically the issue. The idea that in and of yourself you can please God absolutely contradicts the Word of God. You cannot meet His standard. That's the point. That's what the law is there for, is to tell you how many inches there are in a yard or whatever. Not given to say this, but to reveal that God is holy and you and I are not holy. We're not saved by good works. We're saved unto good works by our Savior. That's what He's for. The law is there to prove to us, to have us to realize our need for the Savior. So he continues to, first, in Tim, to Timothy. Paul says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. I wonder what that's talking about. Sounds like today, doesn't it? For men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The role of the law. Paul lists 14 kinds of people condemned by the law. We just went through those, and there's a bunch of, there's more in Romans and Galatians. The law cannot save lost sinners. The law is to expose, restrain, and convict the lawless. I was at a conference once. There was empty chairs. Somebody says, are these seats saved? I says, they're not even under conviction. <laughs> Though it can only reveal the need for a Savior, 
When a sinner believes in Jesus Christ, he is freed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. How many people get caught up in the messianic stuff, and it's, and it's wonderful, you learn a lot, and yet you find yourself drawn back under the law. Be careful. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're freed from the curse of the law. Five of the Ten Commandments are listed in this list that we just went through. Honor thy father and thy mother for murderers and fathers and murderers and mothers. Remember? That's, thou shalt not murder. Remember? For murderers and fathers and murderers and mothers. Thou shalt not commit adultery. For, remember the whoremongers, fornicators, them that file themselves with mankind. Thou shalt not steal. For men stealers. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Liars, perjurers. Five of the Ten Commandments happen to be included in this quick sweep by Paul in this letter. And he continues, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. By the way, all believers are in the ministry if you indeed are a child of God. God saved you, did it for a reason, your great adventures to discover what reason that was. What are your gifts? What is he calling you to? That's the great discovery. Paul continues, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. And Paul's talking about himself here. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He was a blasphemer because he denied the deity of Jesus Christ and he forced others to deny it. And when he denied Christ, he forced others to deny Christ. He was a persecutor because he used physical power to try to destroy the church. Paul's talking about himself here. Acts chapter 8, first four verses. And he's saying ignorance here. I did it ignorantly. He's appealing to a special Jewish law in Leviticus 5 and Numbers 15. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Exceedingly abundant. Paul uses frequently a Greek prefix called hooper. Hooper. A super increase in faith in 2 Thessalonians 1. Super abounding power in Ephesians 1. Super conqueror in Romans 8. More than conquerors, remember? Super. It's from that Greek prefix that we get the word hyper, hypertension, whatever. It's the same, same Greek term, if you will. Paul is using it in super increase in faith, super bounding power, super, he uses that a lot. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? What did he come in for? What did, what's he, what did he show up for? To save sinners. That's what he came for. But Paul adds, of whom I am chief. I love that. Paul's point, of course, is that if God could save him, God can save any of us. That's the point that he's making here. He considered himself the least of the apostles in 1 Corinthians and the least of all saints in Ephesians 3. Paul did not have an exaggerated ego here. He had reason to be egocentric. Benjamin of the tribe of Benjamin and so forth, and he could go through the whole list. He had reason that he could boast if he wanted to, but he does that only to make another point, that he has nothing to boast of. And notice he doesn't say, I was chief. He says, I am chief. I like that. You know, he doesn't put it into the contrary for ex-subjunctive. It's right now, yeah. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might... Uh, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Grace and mercy. God's love in action. God turned the persecutor, Paul, into a preacher. He 
converted the murderer into a missionary. How neat. God did that. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here Paul, as he's writing, suddenly, almost involuntarily, bursts into a doxology. He just sort of sticks that in. It's a sort of a unmitigated praise just stuck in the middle of his letter here. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Did you love that? Son Timothy. According to the prophecies which went before on thee. See, there's that reason we believe that there was some specific laying on of hands, prophecy going on involving his calling here. According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Paul's reminding him of his send-off back in Lystra. We are, you and I are in a warfare. We need to take this to heart ourselves. And where do, how do we prepare for that? Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Put that in your notes. Review Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Understand the seven elements of your armor. You need twice, Paul says, to put on all of them. You have a real enemy, and you are, he's knowledgeable and resourceful. He knows all about you, and he's against you. And you are on his turf. What armor are we talking about? Girded with truth. Check that out. Breastplate of righteousness. What's all that about? Whose righteousness? Not ours, his. Feet shod with preparation. Oh, you mean we got to prepare? It's not automatic? No, let's take some homework here. A shield of faith. Does your shield have holes in it? Fix it now, not later. Your helmet of salvation. Owning it's not enough. If you're not wearing it, doesn't do you any good. How do you can tell who's not wearing their helmet? By the bandages, right? <laughs> the sword of the Spirit. That's the one we all know about. What's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. But everybody forgets the heavy artillery. They, start, they leave off at verse 17. Oh, verse 18's there too. The heavy artillery, action at a distance weapons, prayer, so easily done, so readily overlooked. Spend some time on your knees in private with the Lord and pray for everything, for yourself and for that which the Holy Spirit lays on your heart. Prayer is God's way of enlisting you in what he wants to do. There's an imperative Paul throws in here with Ephesians 6. 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Glib phrase, let's examine it. It's in the imperative mood. That means it's a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's in the present tense, which means be continually strong. Be strong. Always. Continually. And it's in passive voice. You receive the action. You receive the action. The power of his might, not yours, his might. Moving on, 1 Timothy 1. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's a heavy verse. Here's a couple of guys that Paul claims... He delivered to Hasatan, Satan, to teach them a lesson. Boy. There's another prayer you might remember when you have a setback of some kind. 
pray that the lessons not be wasted. There's some lessons you want to have once and only once. Had a very, very dark evening once where a lot of people were mourning a certain situation with the family and, and the leader came in, a guy I respect very highly, and he gave a prayer that surprised me. He says, may the lessons not be wasted. And what a weird prayer for people who are grieving over a situation. And yet he knew more about it than I did, obviously. And I thought, what a provocative. I thought about that for years after that. Pray that the lessons not be wasted. Wow. So anyway, these two guys are delivered as hate. <laughs> that's, that's interesting, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I'll just leave that with you. But you don't want to... Holy faith and good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, because, and because of that, they made, it, they made their situation a shipwreck. I think Paul knew a lot about shipwrecks. He survived several of them. These two apostates, he mentions them elsewhere and has little good to say about them. We'll encounter them in the second letter. Again. There's an apostolic prerogative suggested here. That also shows up in 1 Corinthians 5. And Peter also exercises this apostolic prerogative in Acts 5. And this may or may not have something to do with the keys of the kingdom, and that's a whole other study we won't derail here to get into. But for your next session, I want you to study 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for Timothy. We thank you, Father, that the lessons he needed might not be wasted on us, that we might also understand our need to be courageous, our need to stand fast, our need to be finishing well. We thank you for Paul's encouragement. We thank you for his command. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his elegance. We pray, Father, that you would help us to appropriate these lessons to our own selves and our own walk, that in all these things we might be more effective stewards of those challenges that you place before us as we commit ourselves into your hands. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Timothy. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, please visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.